keep that Bible open to Psalm 130, please. That would really be helpful. I'm wondering, uh, how many of you have heard of this service called Line Sitting? Line, oh, session clock. Oh. So you know what babysitter is, right? A babysitter is someone who helps you mind your kids while you need to go do something else. Uh, but, you know, this is my first time that I found out that there is such a service called, you know, line sitting. Uh, you know, somebody who sits in the line for you, if you're queuing up for something really important, uh, while you go do something else. So here's how it works, right? Suppose you really want to watch a Kenya West concert, or whatever it is that you want to be there for. Say it is a product launch for the latest and newest iPhone technology. Right, you want to be the first person or first few people in the queue to say, I got a first iPhone. Right, that's meaningful for you. You want to be there. But man, it's going to be a long queue. Right, so if you happen to be living in LA, for $18 US an hour, you could hire a line sitter. Right, you just go on a phone, you put it near where, where, you, where it is, what you, want to, you know, what you want to purchase, and someone will turn up and say, yep, I'm going to be you know, line sitting for you, and I will give you regular updates as to the progression of the line. Yep, few more steps now. Yep, almost there. And the beautiful thing is that as as you are about, as the queue is about nearing the end point, the destination, the person will text you and say, "Come now, right?" Uh, and it is as if you were there first in line or first few, right? How good is that? No more waiting, and yet you can get everything you want in life. No more waiting, is it good? Well, my, my view is that some waiting is good. Uh, waiting is good for the soul. Waiting tells you how much you really want something. Uh, and the very act that you are waiting for it, you know, tells you something. Especially if what you want is reconciliation with God and forgiveness from God. Psalm 130 has this sense of longing. The psalmist says, I long for the Lord. My whole being waits. Right? This isn't just, you know, something that is unimportant. This is something that is so important that the psalmist says, my entire soul and person and emotion, and all of me is vested in this. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. And it repeats again, more than the watchman wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full Redemption. The psalmist waits, and this is a sort of waiting that is good. A waiting makes you appreciate what you're going to receive, especially when the waiting is for this kind of God, the God who makes promises. He is a covenant-making, and more importantly, a covenant-keeping God. On his word, you can trust. This is a God who has unfailing love. The word in there means 
royal love, right? This is a one-of-a-kind love. It's not duplicated anywhere in the world because it only originates in this God, right? It's God's royal love that never changes and never runs out. And it lasts from eternity to eternity. And with this God, it's full of salvation. And therefore, we can come, you know, to this God in worship. Even as we listen to his word, this is part of our worship experience. Worship is us responding to God as he reveals himself to us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to engage the text more deeply. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you longingly. As the pilgrims come to the temple to worship, so tonight we come. And we long to hear your word. And we long to meet you. And we long to be transformed by you. Uh, Some of us will wait, but this waiting is worthwhile because tonight you're going to meet us in your son's precious name. Amen. You remember that in this Summer of Psalms series, we are looking at a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Essence. A lot of S's, yes, you know, I'm struggling with this. Um, It's the psalm, it's the sort of songs that pilgrims sing as they journey towards the temple of, of God, of Yahweh. The temple of Yahweh is on a mountain, and pilgrims come from within Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem. Right? They only do this three times a year. There's got to be thousands and thousands of people. Imagine the crowd, imagine the queue. And they all come, and they ebb and flow their way up into the temple to offer their sacrifices and praise and prayers to God. Uh, and so Psalm 130 is part of this collection. Uh, and so you visualize the image as the pilgrims come in there. They've got this, all this set of songs. And remember that these songs have a, a, tent, a focus on the temple itself, on Jerusalem, on God's promises to David, uh, and how God is going to fulfill that. This song also tends to express a kind of longing and a kind of despair because life outside of the garden temple is really hard. And so tonight, as we look at Psalm 130, the pilgrims, the worshiper comes to God and realizes that not only is life hard, but part of the problem is because we are sinful. They are sinful. We're part of the problem. And so the pilgrim cries for forgiveness and mercy because he or she knows that there is guilt in his or her life. Guilt isn't just a feeling. Guilt is also a state you know, of righteousness before this God. The pilgrims know that God is holy, the pilgrim is not. And so the pilgrim cries for mercy straight away at the beginning of Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Uh, the picture that is being depicted here is at the bottom of a very deep ocean, right? The, the word depth here is the word that is only translated in the Bible, often referring to very, 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 very deep, uh, dark places at the bottom of an ocean, right? It's, it's just the place where there is no, no light, the place where there is no life, right? It, it's that place that the Bible refers to as Sheol sometimes, It's the place of death. It's the place of despair. And there is this psalmist, and the pilgrims are singing these songs, this psalm, experiencing it uh, 
uh, imagining what it's like. Out of this depth, this deep and dark pit of death and despair, I'm crying out because the enemy is too strong, because the odds are too high, and because you are alone and you are trapped. And it's a very frightening experience. Friends, the Bible describes this as death. That's, that's the experience. Out of the depth, I cry to you because there is no hope here. God, you are my only hope. Um, the psalmist describes this in a way that, you know, describe how Paul, just, you know, talks about this. Right? Paul talks about the, the, what it's like to be you know, sin in death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. For the wages of sin is death. See, according to the Bible, we all know what it's like to be there. According to the Bible, we are the living dead without God without a savior without reconciliation to this God we are the living dead we are in that depth and so we need to cry to God for mercy because he is our only hope um, so the psalmist cries out let me go back a little bit Right? Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice. Let your voice be attentive to my cry for mercy. The word means pleading for help, for kindness, for royal forgiveness and pardon. Right? That, that kind of love that comes from God. Uh, the word is often translated as supplication. Right? Pleading for mercy is coming to God and crying out. And it's exactly that same word that is used by Solomon when he dedicated the temple, that same temple that the pilgrims are moving up to. Listen to the words of Solomon as he dedicated that temple, right? When it was, all, when it was built, Solomon said, Hear the supplications of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear... Forgive. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that remind us of what we need before God? When you hear this supplication, God, be generous and gracious and forgive your people. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if you've come today, out of the depth of your circumstances. You're crying out for God's mercy. You realize that life outside of the garden temple is cursed and hard. Then you've come to the right place. Because Jesus is that temple. Jesus is the new temple where sinners can come before God and be reconciled and find that royal love. Jesus is the Lord of the Psalms. Jesus forgives. 
the psalmist continue in verse 3 and 4, if you, Lord, right, Yahweh, if you, the, the, the great God who makes his promise, kept a record of sins, who could stand? The answer is no one. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, uh, with reverence, serve you out of fear, right? Good kind of a fear, with reverence and awe. I've met Christians who are, they're, they're Christians, uh, they're well-meaning, they love the Lord, but they are often discouraged because no matter how hard they've tried to live a godly life and a holy life, they find that they keep failing. Sin keeps entangling them. And so they get discouraged after a while because it's as if they never win this battle against sin. They, you know, they have, they lie again. They lost, they lose their temper again. They said, you know, I'm going to stay away from, from pornography, but yet they fell into temptation again. Right? The list could go on. And if you are in that situation, if I would have been, I'm often in that situation, I get discouraged. How can I win this better against sin? Uh, and after a while, we realize that if that's true, if someone kept a record of all of our sin, we would be very, very embarrassed, wouldn't we? Um, recently, I talked to a friend uh, who has done some things in her past, and she's just worried that, you know, if all of this come out, Right? She's going to be very, very embarrassed. If someone, she knew that someone has kept a record of all her wrongdoing, and she's afraid that that person is going to use all of that information to shame her and discredit her. Friends, that's us, isn't it? We, all of us are afraid. We've, we, we know who we are. And if somebody has kept a record of all of that wrongdoing, we would be afraid. We will be afraid of someone finding out and accusing us. That's what Satan wants to do. Uh, Satan stands before, wants to stand before us on the day of judgment uh, and accuse us with a list of all our wrongdoings. But we don't have to give him the satisfaction of that task because Jesus forgives. Right? The covenant God, the God who makes promises, who is unfailing love, wants to forgive you. And the pilgrims who are traveling up to the temple, we who are coming to God week by week on Sunday, wants to be forgiven. And so there is, there is this longing, there is this journey towards that. And so verse 4, for with the Lord Jesus there is forgiveness, there is a hope of being rescued from the depths of despair and death and being restored with dignity in God's presence to serve God. Not as condemned criminals, but as somebody who has been washed clean and being restored uh, in our dignity as children of God. And so let's imagine the pilgrims are doing that. They come from all over Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem. There must be a very big crowd, tens of thousands of people. And I imagine that they're kind of just ebb and flow all the way up this mountain. And there must be a queue because they bring their animals to sacrifice and there's only one altar. So I'm sure they must take turns. After they sacrifice, then they offer their prayers. 
And so it could be quite a wait. And probably that's why they sing. But what if, suppose imagine the, 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 the service that is available in LA, there's a Jerusalem branch at that time. Right? You could say, this is stupid. Right? This, this is just too long. I, I, I don't want to wait. What if I can get someone to line sit for me and just kind of cue this, you know, just make your way up to the temple. Call me when you're there. Better still just do it for me. What would that be like? The temptation is there, isn't it? After all, God wants to forgive us. That's, you know, we'll just kind of take the easy way. If that's you, then that's like wanting salvation without the remorse or repentance. See, for some people, waiting is hard work. I admit it. Uh, we want immediate solution. We're anxious for an outcome. We want a verdict to be announced and to be announced in our favor and, and our acquittal. But why do I have to wait? Friends, because waiting is good for the soul. Did you hear that, young people? Waiting is good for the soul. Because waiting promotes reflection. Waiting, you know, helps us to kind of think about who we are. Waiting's, waiting redirects our attention ultimately to the one whom we are waiting for. He is the one who has all the power, the authority, and is good always. And so the psalmist say, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits for the Lord. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. More than the watchman wait for the morning. Um, as part of my national service in Singapore, that's where I'm from, uh, I was in the army. Uh, I was there for two and a half years. Uh, so it's every soldier's duty and dread to be on sentry duty. You know what sentry duty is? You stand there, you're guarding there with a rifle, uh, and your job is to stay alert so that you allow the right people to come in <coughs> and you turn away the enemy. Right, so every soldier has to do that, and it's, it's a dread, really. It's a form of punishment. Right? You do something wrong, and your officers say, take three extras, three extra weekend sentry duties. Right? Everybody gets to enjoy their weekend. You are, you are on, you're on site on the camp guarding it at night. It's, it's, it's a hard thing, you know, just thinking about it. Oh. All right. Uh, so here's the picture here, right? It's exactly here. The watchman's job is to be vigilant, to keep that place, the city, safe, right? Just like it was my job as a sentry, as a soldier, to make sure that the, the compound that was, I was guarding, which contains ammunition, live ammunition, right? So someone could actually come in and steal those ammunition, and, and it would be on me if it gets stolen. Worse, I could be killed, right? It's a dangerous job. It's dark. It's sleepy, and you're constantly vigilant trying to make sure that, you know, things do not go wrong. And so you're waiting. You're waiting for, your, you know, for the night to be over, for light to come, where you can be off duty. That's that sense here. The watchman is waiting, waiting for dawn, because when it's dawn, right, it, you know that your city is safe, your family is safe, and you can see the enemy clearly now. You don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid. And so the watchman longs for that. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him 
his full redemption. Waiting for the Lord is important. Uh, And what the scripture reminds us of is sometimes we might just have to be like those watchmen and just be patient. The Lord's timing is not our timing. His timing is always better than our timing. And we we, we long with hope because the morning will come. The sun will shine. And that's when you know that you know your your answer, your prayers are going to be answered. Uh, we want God to forgive us. We want God to change us, but we have to do the hard work of waiting. The work the work of waiting is the work of repentance and reflection. Because if we don't want that, we want a forgiveness. We don't want the repentance and remorse. That's not how it works. See, forgiveness is the Lord's choice. It's offered freely. Our job is the job of repentance and remorse. Not only is there personal repentance here, but the psalmist talks about corporate repentance, which is where I want to finish with tonight. We're very good at personal repentance uh, because we know that we're sinful. We have been taught that we need to ask God for forgiveness and we need to allow God to work in our sanctification. But what about corporately, we as God's people? So Psalmist himself turns from himself that, you know, God is going to redeem Israel now from all their sins. Uh, There is this turning from individual to corporate. I want to finish tonight by helping us to think a little bit. And everything that is said about the individual is also true for us corporately as a church. Uh, when was the last time we think about our church, us as the church, and think about the things, uh, do the reflection, and wait together as a church and say, God, what are the things that we need to repent and be remorseful about? What are the things we, as a nation, for example, corporately, need to repent and be remorseful about? Here's what I want to finish with. I, I like us to again turn into small group. I thought it was a great experience of praying together that, that expresses who we are, our unity. Um, I'd like you now to turn to the person next to you, and if you're not comfortable, you can pray by yourself. That's fine. But chat among yourself and think, first of all, as a church, what do you think, are there things that we need to repent of as a church? I'll give you some example. You know, How are we as a church in terms of treating people who are less fortunate. Are we good at that? I don't know. How are we as a church in you know, praying for people who are lost? Right? If that's on God's heart and we're not doing it, then we need to repent. We need to get on with what God is doing. And let's do that. Uh, let's do that together as a church right? and use the Psalm 130 to guide us. Out of the depths, we cry out to God. And I'll I'll close this time later first. Let's draw our time of prayer to a close. Our Father, we are thankful as a church that you do not keep a record of sin because if you do, who would stand?
but with you there is forgiveness. And therefore we can come before you and serve you. Our Lord, we ask that you continue to review to us as a church how we can continue to be your people, to be like to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.